Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you and encourage you to open it to Matthew chapter 9. So we are taking a break from our series in the book of Genesis, and we're doing something a little bit different today in light of the fact that it is Compassion Sunday. And Compassion is a ministry that we partner with as a church, and it's a ministry that we are proud to partner with. Uh, We have a mission statement as a church. Our mission statement is quite simple. Our mission statement simply says that Crossroads Church exists to know Jesus and make him known. And we believe our partnership with Compassion is something that helps us fulfill that, not just here, but around the world. So we're going to focus our attention this morning on one of our core values as a church. And the value is that we are mission focused. So with that as a backdrop, I want to read for you Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. The verse is right at the end of the chapter, and I'm actually going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. And this is what it says. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You can be seated. Well, it's a a pretty short passage. It's a pretty straightforward passage, but it is a passage that has a lot to teach us about mission. What does it mean? What does it look like to be mission-focused? Well, I want to explore that from what we see in this passage under three headings. The first one is simply the, the meaning of mission. So as long as we're talking about mission and being mission-focused, it it helps if we can define what it is that we're talking about. And verse 35 gives us a good summary of Jesus' activity. There it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. Now, if we've read through the Gospel of Matthew, we would have read that before. Because way back in chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, we read a summation of Jesus' ministry that's almost identical to this verse. And there it says, And he, that's Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So Jesus' ministry is summarized in this threefold description of preaching, teaching, and healing. Now, as you hear that list, you might wonder, well, what exactly is the difference between preaching and teaching? And I've had it explained to me that the difference between preaching and teaching is volume, right? You're just louder when you're preaching than when you're teaching. I'm not sure that's quite right. Preaching is announcing or declaring. Jesus came declaring, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Teaching is explaining or clarifying. So Jesus would say things like the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed or the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went on a long journey and then he would explain what he meant by that. Jesus also came healing. Healing is demonstrating. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like in action. 
The Gospels are loaded with miracle or healing stories from the ministry of Jesus. In fact, these verses that we find at the end of Matthew chapter 9 come on the heels of eight miracle stories that we read about in in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, where Jesus demonstrates his authority. His authority over nature, his authority over the spiritual world, his authority over sickness, and his authority even over death. Do you sense the holistic nature of Jesus' ministry? Now, if we were to read on into chapter 10 of Matthew, we would find that it begins with Jesus commissioning his disciples to go and do the same things. Now, we aren't given exactly the same commission as the first apostles, but it's important that we understand the holistic nature of mission. Now, earlier generations of Christians understood this. I mean, it's no surprise that Christians started churches preaching. We should also understand that historically it was Christians who started schools and universities teaching. And it was Christians who started hospitals healing. See, wherever the gospel has spread, it has brought with it not just a rise in the knowledge of God, but a rise in education and health as well. There has always been and always needs to be a holistic understanding of mission. Now, there's errors we can make on both sides of this. I mean, you've no doubt heard a statement along the lines of, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. That statement usually gets attributed to Francis of Assisi, although there's no record of him saying it. Now, I've riffed on this before, but that is a ridiculous statement, be a bit like saying, feed the hungry, use food if necessary. You cannot preach the gospel without using words. The gospel consists of the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. So preaching and teaching are essential to mission. And preaching and teaching don't just refer to what I'm doing right now. You can preach the gospel in a conversation with your friend or neighbor. But you cannot do it without words. There's content to the gospel. So let's say you've got a neighbor couple and you feel a burden to share the gospel with them. You invite them over for dinner. And you go out of your way in your efforts at hospitality. I mean, you make appetizers. You make your best dinner. You make a dessert that is to die for. Over the course of time, you do your best to be a good neighbor to this couple. I mean, you lend him your lawnmower and your tools. You say you'll watch their place while they go out of town on vacation. But let's say on one of their trips out of town, their car is T-boned by a semi and they die. Have you preached the gospel to them? Have you told them that the only way to be in a right relationship with God is by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus on their behalf? Or have you just shown them what nice people Christians are? Now, being a good neighbor can be a great starting point for the sharing of the gospel. Our actions are often a necessary step to earning the right to share with a person. But without words, we have not preached the gospel. But having said all that, there's another mistake we can make in relation to this. Now, we're a gospel-centered church. We talk about the gospel all the time. But we need to make sure that we're not just about preaching and teaching. We need to make sure that we're bringing healing to those around us as well. I remember talking with one of my professors in seminary who had spent uh, time as a missionary couple in a very poor part of Honduras. And as part of their ministry there, they were teaching people better farming techniques. And then they were holding Bible studies in their home in the evening. 
And it took some time, but after a while, people could see, well, this couple is here for our good, and they would start coming to the Bible studies as well and learn about Jesus. There was another group of missionaries working in the region, and their approach was quite different. They would get in a, in a small airplane, and they would just fly over the region and drop gospel tracts and pamphlets and kind of think they've, they've discharged their duty. But that's not gospel proclamation either. We need to keep these things together. We need to be about preaching and teaching, but we also need to be about healing. And this has been the pattern wherever Christianity has flourished. In his book on the rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark says this about the spread of the Christian faith in the first century. He said, the cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn apart by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Now that shouldn't be all that surprising. That's simply a description of what holistic mission looks like. It's what it looks like when we're engaged in preaching, teaching, and healing. Now, we have a missions policy as a church, and one of the things that was vitally important to us as we developed that policy is that we want to make sure that we partner with individuals and groups that take a both-and approach to ministry. Right, so this is James chapter 1. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress or in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. One of the reasons we're so happy to partner with Compassion is because their ministry understands the holistic nature of the gospel. They bring preaching, teaching, and healing to communities all over the world through the ministry of local churches. That's the meaning of mission. Closely related to that is the second thing we see here, which is the motive for mission. We get this from verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Greek word that's used for compassion is an interesting one. I don't often do this, but the Greek word that is used for compassion is the word splanknidzomai. Right? It's a great word. So I want you to kind of humor me this morning. On the count of three, you're going to say splank nids on my. One, two, three. Splank nids on my. Gesundheit. Right? It's a great word. It, it has this, 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 this quality about it that it, it, it sounds like what it means. Splank nids on my. Compassion sometimes is translated as, as uh, pity or as feeling. Compassion. But might be better to translate it as his heart went out to them. One commentator says it means to feel in the viscera or bowels or entrails. So Jesus sees these crowds and deep within him, his affections are stirred for them. That's what it means to have compassion. And this is not an isolated statement about Jesus' compassion in the Gospels. We just keep reading the Gospel of Matthew. We would see more examples of this. So chapter 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
Or Matthew chapter 15, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. There's a great description of an incident from Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 20. Where it says, and as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. See, Jesus' miracles were manifestations of what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven invades earth. But they were also manifestations of his compassion for broken and hurting people. Jesus looks at the crowds, and his heart breaks for them because it says he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, there are a couple of specific things that move Jesus here. There's firstly the size of the group. It says Jesus saw the crowds, plural, and had compassion for them. So as far as the eye could see, there was a sea of humanity in need of what only he could give. I wonder how often we're struck by even just the size of our city. I mean, Surrey has more than 500,000 people living in it. Do you ever just stop and think about all the people passing by? Most of them don't know Jesus. Most of them are like sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus was moved not just by the size of the crowd, but by the suffering of the crowd. It says that he saw that they were harassed and helpless. Now, maybe they were harassed because their spiritual leaders laid heavy burdens on them that they couldn't possibly bear. Maybe they were harassed by the Roman government. But whatever the source of their harassment, they were helpless They couldn't change their situation if they tried. And Jesus doesn't look at the crowds and say, oh, these guys put the total in total depravity. Right? He looks at the crowds and he has compassion on them. His heart goes out to them. And I wonder how often we have that kind of compassion. A few years back, I read through a biography of Dwight Moody. Now, I never knew that much about him before reading the biography, other than the fact that he founded Moody Bible College in Chicago. Dwight Moody became a Christian at the age of 17. He was a sales clerk in a shoe store in Boston, and he was actually converted by a customer in that shoe store. Two years later, he moved to Chicago in search of making a fortune. Now, Chicago was experiencing something of a population explosion at the time. Between 1850 and 1855, its population grew from just 30,000 people to 109,000 people. And along with the population explosion came a host of social problems. And Moody's heart started to break for the people of his new city. So one Sunday morning, Moody walked to the little mission school on the corner of Chicago Avenue and Wells Street... He offered to lead a Sunday school class. And the superintendent of the Sunday school said, look, I've got 12 teachers already and only 16 students. But if you could work up a class on your own, then you're welcome to teach here. That was all Moody needed to hear. The next Sunday, he appeared with 18 ragged and dirty children gathered off the streets. Turning them over to other teachers, he sought more children until the school was full to overflowing. 
wasn't thinking of teaching the children himself, but saw it as a place to drum up recruits for the school. And when he saw these poor children, he would remember the poverty of his youth. He had known what it was for hope to be a stranger. So a flame of compassion fired within him. This was something he could give him to. It was his compassion that drove him to mission. And by the way, that little Sunday school started with these kids, grew to 1,500 people. And it wasn't just kids that Moody impacted. His commitment was every Sunday he would fill four pews of people in the church he attended, people from all walks of life. He was affectionately referred to as the Sunday school drummer because he was kind of like the Pied Piper. He would just bang this drum and people would follow him. The New York Times of all publications memorialized Moody by saying this, Moody went down into the slums of Chicago to people never seen inside the churches. As I read that book, I actually wept. Not because it was a sad story, because I want a heart like that. I want a heart of compassion. It's so easy to get distracted by all sorts of things, but we need to have God's heart for lost people. They're sheep without a shepherd. We need to ask God to break our hearts for those who don't know him. Fill us with compassion. And the aim of a Sunday like this, of Compassion Sunday, where we talk about child sponsorship, is not to make everyone feel guilty. It's to hopefully fill within us a heart of compassion that we would have eyes like Jesus. Our hearts would break. I want you to listen to God's words to those who were supposed to be Israel's leaders in the Old Testament. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God said, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill my sheep were scattered over the face of all the earth with none to search or seek for them. See, Jesus looks out at this crowd and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd, sheep that have been scattered with no one to care for them. I love our church. I I love the fact that so many of you have decided to join us on mission, but just imagine what it would be like if we were all committed to strengthening the weak, healing the sick, binding up the wounded, bringing back those who have strayed and seeking the lost. I invite you just to pray with me that this becomes the heartbeat of our church, that we're motivated by our compassion and this ties in with the third thing we learn about mission in this passage which is the mindset of mission we see this in verses 37 and 38 says then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest see the problem is not that there's not enough harvesting to do The problem is there's not enough workers to bring the harvest in. And part of what it means to be mission-focused as a church is that we don't lose sight of what needs to be done. Business leaders talk about missional drift as a way that companies sometimes start to drift from their original mission as they start to grow. Churches experience the same thing. Mission of Crossridge Church is to know Jesus and make him known. Let's never lose sight of that. 
When Jesus gives a similar commissioning to his disciples in the Gospel of John, he says it this way, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. See, Jesus knows our tendency is to be distracted by other things. And what he tells us is to lift up our eyes and look. See the opportunities that are before us. Look, I would encourage you as you walk through the lobby, see those opportunities. I've already shared with you the encouragement I received from reading Dwight Moody's biography. Moody had a missionary mindset. Chicago was this booming metropolis, people moving there in droves. Listen to the way Moody approached that. For many in the city, it was a new home, just as it was for Moody. He brought with him an earnest, cordial greeting. If the folks he met were friendless in Chicago, he would be their friend. He would take them to where they would be welcomed, the church setting he now called home. That's what a mission mindset looks like. If we lift up our eyes and look at the fields, the truth is we'll be struck by just how big the job is that is before us. I mean, it's big in our city, but look around the world. We could easily be overwhelmed. So what does Jesus tell us to do? He tells us to pray. He says to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we're not going to accomplish anything without prayer. I want to encourage you to pray that in our church, God would send out workers to gather in the harvest. I want you to pray about the opportunities that are before us, even as there are workers working in so many communities around the world to bring in the harvest. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, make everyone feel guilty for not harvesting enough. That's not what he says. He tells us, pray that God would send forth workers to bring in the harvest. And this is really my prayer for us as a church, that we would become that kind of church. Pray we'd grow numerically, grow in spiritual depth, that we would grow in our sending. Listen to what Jesus says in one of the letters he writes to one of the seven churches in Revelation. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. There's an open door before us. There's an opportunity before us.